church. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. And it says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even up to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you again just for this opportunity we have to be here tonight. Lord, what a joy it is to be able to sing songs of praises to you that just remind us of who you are and and of your love for us, Lord God, and just the incredible privileges there are of, of being yours. And Father, I'm just thankful that, that we can meet in this place amongst Christians, that we can sing, that we can get into your word like we're going to be doing right now, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to be taught. And Father, tonight I just pray that what's taught here tonight, what's spoken of here tonight, would not go in one ear and out the other, but that it would, that it would settle upon our hearts and upon our minds. The Lord God, we would, we would be challenged, Father, that, that we're here for a purpose. We're not here just to get fed. We're not here just for our own personal gain, God. We're, we're here for a greater purpose. So, Father, let us see that tonight. Let us own that as we leave this place. And, and in the years and, and to, to come, Lord, let it, let it be evident, Father, from our lives and from our church that we, that we get what it is, God, that you've called us to be as your church. So, God, tonight, remove any distractions from our minds. God, remove the enemy from this place. God, your word tells us the greater are you that is in us than he that is in the world, so Satan has no place here. So God, I just pray that you would reign in this service, reign in our hearts, and be glorified in everything that is said and done. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, Jesus taught a lot of important things um, while he was on earth, obviously, but maybe the most um, direct command that Jesus ever gave was right before he ascended back into heaven. Um, it's often been said that when, when a, a person is at the end of their life, you really need to pay attention to what they say because the most meaningful things they have to say are going to be spoken generally at that point because as they're reflecting in life and all those different things. And, and the very last thing Jesus tells his disciples of all the things that he had taught them while he was on earth was what we know as this great commission. This call for them to go to the nations and to make disciples. So what is a commission? Um, first off, let, let's think about that for a second. Just by definition, a commission is an instruction or a command or a duty given to a person or a group of people that's definition one. Definition two is a group of people officially charged with a particular function. And so when we think about the Great Commission, that's exactly really what it's talking about by definition. Jesus, who is the supreme ruler of both heaven and earth and everything else that exists in between, has given an official charge, an official duty to a group of people to accomplish, which is the Great Commission. And then we have to ask, well, who is this group of people? And the New Testament makes abundantly crystal clear that that is the church. Now, when I say the church, certainly the local church, this should be its focus, right? But when I say the church, what is given to the church, I'm talking about the global church. I'm talking about not just Grace Fellowship Church or the Red Brick Church down the road or Kishwaukee Church down the road or churches across the state. I'm talking about the church, meaning if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're part of the body of Jesus Christ, which is often likened to what's called the global church, which are individual Christians that make up the body 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Je- but and, and I say that when Jesus gave this command, he wasn't giving it to the, the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, right? It didn't even exist yet. He, he gave it to a group of disciples. He gave it to a group of people. And again, any, any church that wants to be focused on what God wants for them, they better look at the Great Commission and take that seriously, but understand that it was given not to specific entities, but it was given to individuals if you're a Christian, that's you. That's me. This great commission was given to us as God's people. So that's who Jesus was talking to. Now let's look at the content of the great commission just for a few minutes before we actually get to um, what our vision is all about as a church. The first thing Jesus says when he was in the great commission, or you put it back up on the screen if you want to, he, he was talking about how all authority had been given to him. Jesus is the supreme authority over all things. God the Father has given Jesus absolute jurisdiction over the world and all that's in it. So what Jesus has declared, we especially as his people need to to take seriously. His way of doing things always supersedes our own plans. And whatever the reason we as individuals are here as a part of this church, we need to understand that as his people... Notice it says, as his people, meaning if you're a Christian, you were bought, you were purchased by the blood of Christ that was shed for you. The reason you're a Christian is because of the blood of Jesus. And the Bible says that we were purchased with his blood. You know what that means? Whether you like it or not, you're owned by Christ. We often try to run away at times and don't stay near him like we're supposed to, but we belong to Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul so often in the New Testament referred to himself as a, as a slave of Christ or a bond slave or a bond servant. It's this idea that he's willingly chaining himself to Jesus as his Lord and as his master. And, and so when Jesus says that all authority has been given to him, we need to take that seriously and understand that, that this commission is for us. It's something that, that Jesus has given to us directly as his people. So all authority has been given to him, and he says this, Go and what? Make disciples. Now, oftentimes when people read this, they think that the main command in this scripture is to go, but it's actually not. The main command, now understand the Bible was written, at least this, this part of the Bible was written in, in Greek, the Greek language, right? And so the actual main verb of this text is make disciples. Going, Baptizing, teaching are all what are called Greek participles, right? So they're describing how the, the verb takes place, kind of is the idea, right? But understand, so that the, the, main, the main command of this scripture is to make disciples. So if that's the main command, we should ask ourselves then, what's a disciple? How, how do we define what a disciple is? According to Webster's Dictionary, and I, I like to look back at the Webster's 1828. Mike McGurk actually introduced me to this, and it actually gives you like the definitions as the Christian man, Miriam Webster, wrote them years and years ago. He says this, a, a disciple is this, a learner, a scholar, one who receives or professes to receive instruction from another, a follower and a, and, or, or a believer of the doctrines of another, hence the constant attendance of Christ were called his disciples, and hence all Christians are called his disciples as they profess to learn and receive his doctrines and precepts. And so that's what a disciple is. And so it tells us we're supposed to go and make disciples, which then leads to the question, how does one do that? 
Like, how does one go make a follower of Christ? Well, those three Greek participles give us the instructions in this text. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching show us exactly how disciples are made. And so when it says to go therefore, you could really read it as in your goings or as your goings, at round and about as you're going here, as you're going there, as you're going wherever, make disciples. That's kind of the idea. So where were they to go? Well, it answers in this text, make disciples, what, of all nations. Now, most Bible scholars believe, as I do, that the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which we looked at last week, were really spoken probably simultaneously as Jesus was leaving, right? So, I mean, we know in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the very next thing we see is Jesus ascending on the cloud, like we talked last week. Well, the Great Commission is the last thing we see in the Gospel of Matthew, and more than likely, this was spoken at the exact same time. So if you were the disciples, you probably would have heard something like this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You ever put those two together like that? This is the commission of the church. Jesus has given everything that we possibly could need in the Holy Spirit, all the power that we could ever possibly need to accomplish the task, and he's given the command for us to go and make disciples. So, the, so disciple-making requires a person to be a witness of Jesus, leaving the comfort of their own homes and going out to intentionally engage unchurched and unsaved people. Engage them with what? Engage them with the message of Jesus, which is really where the second command comes in. So you go, make disciples, and he talks about baptizing them. Now, why didn't Jesus in the Great Commission make it a little more clear? Why didn't he say, go and make disciples by telling them about me, get a profession of faith, get them into the church, then get them baptized, and then go on? Why didn't he say it like that? I tend to believe this because in simply saying baptize them, all that would have, would have been automatically assumed and known by the disciples because of what they knew of Jesus and witnessed of Jesus was that was just a given. Because in the first century, baptism was the marker that showed you had chosen to follow Jesus as Savior. Baptism identified person as a follower of Christ. It was a sign of true repentance and turning away from sin. It was a sign that a person was committing their lives fully into the service of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Baptism essentially was the line that, if crossed, meant somebody was absolutely serious about following, following Jesus. So if somebody would get to the point that they would be baptized the way Jesus was by being immersed into the water in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and Spirit. There was absolutely no doubt whatsoever that they had heard and responded to the message of Christ. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples, his disciples knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew Jesus meant they needed to go out, share the message of his life and death and resurrection, and then call the people to a public response of faith by being baptized in the same manner as Jesus was, as to newly identify as belonging to to Jesus. It's kind of the idea. Salvation was never meant really 
to be what it's largely become today. It was never meant to be a private decision where somebody asks Jesus into their heart and keeps it all to themselves and never goes and tells any about, anybody about it. No, a decision to follow Christ has a call attached to it to be made public. And honestly, that's the point of baptism. It's a public profession of faith, saying, I belong to Jesus. I identify as a follower of Christ. So this was an important step in making disciples, but it wasn't the final step. Jesus didn't tell them to go make converts. He told them to go make disciples and then teach those disciples all the things that he had taught them. And so the question would be then, what, was he, what were they to teach, right? Because Jesus taught them a lot of different things. How, how were they to go about teaching? What, what, what would that regiment look like, if you will? Well, think about what the disciples experienced as a disciple of Christ, as one of the people that actually literally walked with Jesus. Think about how Jesus modeled this to them in his life. For starters, Jesus pursued them and asked them to follow him. He taught them about who he was. He taught them how to live and what God wanted for their lives. He made it clear that they had a mission, which was to go fishing for the souls of mankind. And then he commissioned and empowered them to go out into the world and reproduce in others what was produced in them. That's what Jesus modeled. And so just like Jesus did with his own disciples, he was telling them to go out, to reach new people, to baptize them into the family of Jesus, and then carry on the training that he gave them. And so when Jesus said make disciples, that's exactly what he meant. So to the first Christians, what Jesus was asking them to do was what he had done in them for three years. He had to invest in their life, to teach people what Jesus had taught them, and then send them out to repeat it. That's essentially what the making disciples really is all about. As we're going, we give people the message of Jesus. When they respond in faith to Christ, we bring them into the church. They get baptized, which is why as a Baptist church we do that. As a church we do that because Jesus said to do that. And, and the reason we, we, baptism is necessary for membership of the church is because that's what we see throughout the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, just about, I mean, not just about, literally every time in the, in the book of Acts, you, we see this pattern of a person responding to the gospel, then they are baptized, then they are added to the church, which is exactly why we do what we do here. So, but once we get them into the church, the work's not done, the work's just begun. That's where the teaching and training, getting them to the point where they can be sent back out to repeat what was done in them. And the good thing for them, as well as the good thing for still us today, is the final thing Jesus said in this passage is, surely I will be what? With you even to the end of the age. So although Jesus was floating off into heaven, he wasn't leaving them. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in us as it was in them, and he's with this all along the way to accomplish the task and the mission that we have been given. And so that's exactly what they did. These disciples, they went out and shared the gospel. They, they told people about who Jesus was, what he had done for them, why they needed him, and asked them to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. As they went about and did that, they started churches in different communities. They helped these churches, these new Christians grow into spiritual maturity. And then they put leaders into place and sent them out to do in others what was done in them. And so essentially that is what the Great Commission really is all about. 
And if you think about the effectiveness of the simple command of Matthew chapter 28, it really is astounding. If you're here last week, we talked a lot about that, that just a handful of men, and probably the ladies that were there as well, literally turned the world upside down with the gospel to the point that throughout the ages, because faithful followers of Christ have obeyed this, the gospel has reached every corner of the world. Billions upon billions of people have professed faith in Christ since Christ died, resurrected, and went to heaven. I mean, the, the, the effectiveness of the Great Commission speaks for itself, which then brings us to our vision as a church. So if you ever heard the term, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, well, we go by that philosophy here when it comes to the vision of our church. Why recreate the wheel? If what Jesus tells us to do has proven itself effective over the centuries, why in the world would we try to be super creative and trendy to try to do something better? How about we just do what Jesus said? Well, and as we'll see here in a moment, that really is exactly what we have done as a church. Our, our vision is drafted, is centered around this great commission. So we have a vision statement as a church that says this. We exist as a church to help unchurched and unsaved people become fully surrendered followers of Jesus Christ. Do you see how the Great Commission is encompassed to that? in that? We exist to help unchurched, unsaved people become fully surrendered followers of Christ. How do we do that? We go out, we reach them, we bring them in. We make them part of the church through baptism. And then guess what? They get taught, they get trained, they get sent right back out. That's the, that's the vision in a nutshell. Simple, but that's what it is, right? So the question is, we have to have a plan, right, to, to make that happen. So that's the vision. We have to have a game plan, and that's really um, what our, our, our vision as a whole is, is the game plan. If you notice when you walk in, there's a little sign over there that talks about, it really is our, our vision of, of making disciples and maturing disciples and um, mobilizing disciples and multiplying disciples. That really is the game plan of how we accomplish what's spoken of in our vision, vision statement. And so we're going to start with the first piece of this, which is making disciples. Now, we talked about what Jesus said make disciples mean. When we say make disciples in our vision, we're talking about step number one in the process, which is getting people saved. Meaning the message of Jesus is going out from our church into the world around us. The question is, is how do we do this? We do this by the Christians that are already here actually leaving this church and going out and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we talked about last week, the gospel is the power unto salvation. It's the only way a person can get saved. Romans 10, 13 and 14 says this, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Because as ten seventeen says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you're a Christian and part of this church, the only way we can even begin to accomplish the Great Commission and the vision that God has given us as a church is by us going out and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the pastor's job. You're right, it is. But guess who else's job it is? You know when you point at somebody, there's, there's what, four or five figures pointed back at you, whatever they say? Yeah, that, that's what it is. If you know Christ, 
You know what 2 Corinthians 5.20 says? We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are, you are, I am an ambassador for Christ with the message of Christ. And this world is dependent upon us going out and sharing that good news about him. And so our goal as a church when it comes to making disciples is to get the gospel message out to as many unchurched and unsaved people as we possibly can. Which means we need to be praying for the unsaved. We need to be praying for our own hearts, for God to give us a passion and a desire and a boldness and a willingness to go out and share it. This requires personal evangelism. Even if you're fearful about sharing the gospel, at least invite them to church so they can hear it here, which is why we try to make sure that the gospel is always shared here at church. We do intentional outreach to our community. We, we put our services online, on social media. Anything that we can do to get the message of Christ out, we want to do as a church. But can I tell you, the most effective way the gospel goes out is not through Facebook, is not through YouTube, It's through our mouths individually, going out and speaking to the people that we know. And the goal of making disciples, that first step in our process, is salvation and baptism. We go out, we share the gospel, we pray that they respond as they respond, that we bring them in, the response to that is they follow in faith by baptism according to the Great Commission, and guess what? Now they're part of the membership, of the, the fold of the church, if you will, and now they can be taught, they can be trained, people can come alongside them and help them in, to, to grow spiritually, which leads us to step two in our vision, which is maturing disciples. When it comes to maturing disciples, here's what we mean. Simply put, our goal is to help Christians grow in spiritual maturity. The goal is for all of us to look more and more like Jesus every week that passes. That's the goal of maturing disciples. We need to be growing in our faith, which means we need to be growing in our knowledge of of this, God's Word, because it's how we grow in our faith right? And so how do we do that? How do we accomplish that as a church? Well, one way is through what we're doing right now, through biblical preaching and teaching. I can tell you that the primary job of of the the pastor, leader of the church, is the teaching of God's Word and the training of of the people in God's Word. So whether it's preaching or teaching or training or counseling, counseling, it's, it's to help people learn more about God's Word and how it's relevant to their lives. And this is exactly what God's Word says. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away by every new wind of, uh, wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. That's my job right there. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So that's what we're doing here. The primary goal of my job is not to tell funny stories or funny jokes, although those things get incorporated sometimes. My job as the pastor is to teach this. At, verbatim, as it says, not my opinions, but the truth of the Word of God, unadulterated. That's my job. And I can tell you that is my commitment to you. But that's not the only way we can do this. There's also small group Bible studies that meet during the week. There's men's ministries and women's ministries and young adult ministry and youth ministries and children's ministries. Those all are, are trying to accomplish the same purpose, helping us together grow in our knowledge of God and in our relationship with God. I can tell you another huge and one of the most effective ways this will happen is through one-on-one engagement or one-on-one discipleship where we, we meet together. Me and Josh go out for breakfast and we talk about the Lord and we talk about what we read in our devotional. We talk about what, what's going on in our life and how God's been moving and how the Bible affects those different things. And I speak into his life and he speaks into my life. It's, the, it's an amazing what happens when Christians get together and talk about the Bible and talk about how relevant it is to your lives. What happens is Christians begin to grow. Not only together, but grow in spiritual maturity. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us that iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. And that's kind of what it's talking about. So maturing disciples is all the ways that we as a church try and help one another grow in our relationship with God and, and our knowledge of God. Which leads us now to step three, which is mobilizing disciples. So in step three, once we get people saved and maturing in their walk with God, we need to now get them engaged in ministry and the mission of the church. And so when we say mobilizing disciples, this is what we mean. Now, if you think about how the military mobilizes troops, every person has been trained, every person knows their place, so when the call is made to mobilize, everyone does their job, and they work as one unit. And so that's kind of the idea here. We need to work as a unit. We have one goal, which is the Great Commission of Christ, right? There's a lot encompassed in that Great Commission, and we need to have a united front working together, every person doing their part to make this happen. We want to help everyone find their place of ministry and to get busy serving. We want to help everyone understand that they have a place in the mission field of God. The mission we have is a big one, and we need all hands on deck to accomplish it. And the truth is, everyone has a place. Every one of us has something to contribute. Every one of us is needed for this church to reach its full potential. Whether you think so or not, God has a place. If you're here, God has a place for you to serve here. And what I can tell you is this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 tells us, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know what that tells me? That tells me that unless all of us are contributing, it's impossible for us to reach our full potential 
as a church. We have a vision to reach outside of our church so we can reach people that still need to know Christ. We have a vision to provide quality weekend services and a variety of ministries that will help people grow in their knowledge of God and their relationship with God. The question is, how do you think those things are going to happen? Not by magic, by you and me. By us together. We need people who will serve, people who will lead, people who are bold enough to actually go out from here and reach new people. So when we talk about mobilizing disciples, our vision is to get as many people serving in as many ways as possible to help our church become as healthy as possible so that we can be growing and effective in the mission of the gospel that we've been given by Christ. Which then leads us to step four, which is multiplying disciples. So we've talked about how we go out and we reach people with the gospel, we, we bring them into the church, we begin to train them, we get them mobilized, we get them um, in, in serving, and they're now part of the, the mission of the church, and, and they're starting to see the big picture. Now we need to do in them what Jesus did to his disciples. Get them to the point where we can empower them to go out and repeat what was done in them. So with everything like comes full circle. Somebody shares the gospel with me. I respond. I start coming to church. I begin to be taught and be trained, and, and they tell me how important it is that I get engaged in serving because God has gifted me specially for, for some type of service, and I get engaged in service, and, and I see that, man, there's a bigger picture here. Church isn't just about me. It's, just about, it's not just about me coming and, and getting fed. I have something to contribute, and I need to do something because I'm starting to see this world around me that, man, if, if somebody wouldn't have reached me, where would I be at? And next thing you know, golly, I see some people that they need to be, they need to be taught, they need to be trained, they need to be they need to have the gospel shared with them as well. Now, I want to go out, and as a church, we should empower people to say, we will do anything we can. We will help you out in any way we can. Go out and reach people. That's what multiplying disciples is all about. It, it brings it full circle. If you've ever read John chapter 17, this is exactly what Jesus' prayer was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying for his disciples and the people that they would reach, and on and on and on. And it's just... This, is, this was his plan, which means it should be our plan as well. And it is. And so in a nutshell, that's our vision. It's simple, it's concise, it's challenging, measurable, attainable, but most importantly, it's modeled exactly after the command Jesus has given us. To make disciples, to mature them, to mobilize them, and then to send them back out. But... A vision is just that. A vision only comes to reality when people get engaged in it. Which means if our vision as a church is going to happen, one, we need to personalize it. Meaning we have to believe it, we have to own it as individuals before we can accomplish it as a church. This is something that that you as individuals have to do yourself. You have to believe that God has made you for a purpose. You have to believe that God has gifted you perfectly for your place of service in his kingdom. The question is, do you believe it? And can I tell you the biggest thing that has to happen? 
There has to be a transition of thought when it comes to the church that says this, the primary purpose of church is not simply about what I give out, get out of it, but what rather I can put into it. That will be the difference maker in our church. That there will be, that will determine what God can do through us. Why do we come? Is the primary reason we come to get fed, to, to be encouraged? Those things should happen. And, and, and I pray those things are happening. But there's a transition of mindset that says, I'm coming here, yes, to be encouraged, yes, to get fed, but I'm coming here for the people around me. Because I want to serve them because God has gifted me and I want to bless them with what God's given me. I want to encourage them and I want to lift them up and I want to build them up. I want to be taught so I can go back out there and reach others and bring them in so we can do it all over again. That has to be the mindset if our church is going to become what God wants it to become. We have to personalize it and then we have to prepare it. Our our vision may be simple, but it's going to take a lot of preparation and a lot of work, which means we have to prepare ourselves personally. We need to make sure that we're in right fellowship with God, meaning, number one, we need to be saved. You know, the, if you're not saved, you're not, you're, you're not part of the church. You may be part of the, you may be, you may come into the, come into the building, but you're not part of the church because the, the true church is people who belong to the body of Jesus Christ, that only, but that only happens when a person responds to the gospel. Understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, which is the whole reason Jesus came, died, was buried, and rose again. In doing so, defeated death, defeated the grave, defeated our, paid for the, the debt of our sin, making a relationship with God now possible once again. If a person receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, in that forgiveness of their sins, committing their life to Him, the Bible says you're not only saved, you become part of the family of God and part of the church, the body of Christ. Step one, right? But even as Christians, we need to make sure that we're in right fellowship with God because who knows that we can be saved and still be off on a path that God doesn't want. That will limit our effectiveness in this mission. Sin destroys what God wants to do. And so we need to personally prepare to make sure we're in right relationship and right fellowship with God. We need to be intentional in doing anything we need to do to grow personally in our knowledge of God and our relationship with Him, meaning we have to prioritize spiritual growth and the things that help us get there, such as personal Bible studies, such as coming to church, being a part of Bible studies that are out during the week, being a part of ministries in the church that help develop you and your character and your knowledge of God because who knows, you can only give what you have. You can't give somebody something you don't have. And so we have to be growing personally and committed to spiritual maturity ourselves so that we can pour ourselves out for others. But we also have to prepare corporately. We have to get our ministries functioning at a level that they can not only meet the needs of where we're at now today, we need to get them to a place that we can receive people that are new. The only way that we can grow is if we're prepared for the growth. If our foundation isn't stable enough for God to add more people, guess what's going to happen? God's not going to add more people. We have to make sure our foundation is stable and ministries are ready. You know, our ministry leaders are doing a remarkable job, um, but they need help. They need your gifts. They need your assistance. They need you to to join their teams and help them out because the more people that get engaged in ministry, the more effective they will become and the more people you will be able to reach. And as a church, we need missionaries that know the gospel. People that will be willing to go out and tell people about Jesus. That's how we prepare as a church. And then we got to pursue it, meaning we got to go. 
we're, we're taught, we're trained, we're ready, we're encouraged. Now let's go, let's get engaged, let's get serving, let's get doing, let's get going, let's get sharing, let's get busy. That's what has to happen for us to accomplish this mission that Christ has given us called the Great Commission. Is it easy? No. It's hard. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, tw- Matthew 16, 24, If anyone desires to come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Being a Christian isn't easy. It is difficult. It is hard. But it's worth it. Not only for us personally, but for the ones that we reach out there. Because I can tell you the greatest joy you'll ever experience in your life is leading somebody to Christ. That is amazing. There's something about that that is just exhilarating when a person gets saved that you had something to do with it. So, I just want you to think about this, right? Here's what we project about our church to the outside world. If you would check our website, if you would check um, the little trifolds we try to get passed out to people, here's what it says. Grace Fellowship Church, a place, a place to connect, a place to serve, a place to grow, a place to belong. Sharing life together. Doesn't that sound good? Do you believe it? Are you experiencing it? Are you engaged in it? Because if that's what we're projecting, we need to make sure we're experiencing it. When you come, are you connecting with others and connecting with God? I hope so. You know, as you're a part of this church, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in relationship with the people around you? Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? A place to serve. Are you you engaged serving in some capacity, no matter how simple it is? Do you feel like you're part of this church? Do you feel like you belong? I hope so. Because, guys, that's the goal. The goal is sharing life together. I want to read you a couple other things as I close, and I'm closing quickly here. But on, on our signs, it says, come as you are. If, if, you would have, if you read our website or read one of those pamphlets, here's what we mean by come as you are. Maybe you've never read this, but I just want to read this to you. It says, at Grace Fellowship Church, we accept people from every walk of life. We don't care who you are, what you believe, how you look, or how you dress. You're welcome here. We don't care if your past is full of mistakes or whether you think you're as innocent as a church mouse. You're welcome here. If you're a person who lacks perfection, come join the rest of us. You're welcome here. We welcome you because we have experienced the joy of being welcomed by God. God willingly welcomed us through the cross-stretched arms of Jesus, and he'll welcome you too. So come as you are, and let us help you find what real life looks like through Jesus. Guys, that's what we want to be about as a church. That is what will make us so different than so many other ones around us. And I'm not being judgmental, it's just the reality. And then it says this question, why should I become a part of Grace Fellowship Church? Again, it's on our website, it's on the little trifold that says this. At Grace Fellowship Church, we believe that God has created us for a purpose. 
We don't believe church is just about practicing religion on the weekends. We believe it is a way of life. We believe the church is about far more than what happens in the building we meet in. The church is us, helping one another walk through this difficult road called life while striving to help one another become more like Jesus. We believe that God has placed us here to make a positive impact in the world around us. Jesus has transformed our lives, and we want to help people see that Jesus can transform their lives as well. We believe the message of Jesus is a message of hope, and we believe God's purpose for us is to share that message with as many people as possible. And we would love nothing more than for you to join us on this incredible journey. Guys, that's who we are as a church. It's easy to write. It's hard to make reality. Let's make it a reality. And as we do, here's what I guarantee. Church will be really fun because we're going to see people saved. We're going to have that baptism up here a lot more than we've seen it. And you know what happens then? Church gets really exciting. This gets really exciting. And, and God will be seen because it will be evident in what's happening. Let's do our part so God can do his. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just being able to be a part of this church. God, I am so blessed to be able to be the pastor of Grace Fellowship Church. What a joy it is, God, to, to have so many people that, that love you the way that they do. God, their desire to honor you is so evident, Father. Their, their love for this church is so evident. And God, I don't doubt that at all, Lord, because I see it. But God, I know, as, as they know, staying committed to what we talked about tonight isn't easy. It's hard. There's so many competing things in our lives that distract us from what's best. And so often, Lord God, we, we choose what's second best over what's supposed to be the main priority of our lives, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to, to, to choose you, to choose right, to choose this mission every single day. No matter where we go, whether it's work or play, God, let us choose this mission every day that passes. God, use us, empower us, and strengthen us. Help us, Lord God, to be the people you've called us to be. Use us for your glory. Use us to build this church. Use us to reach the people that are on the outside of this church. Father, we desire you to be honored through our lives. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.